You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Professor Robert D'Agostino with Do Facts Matter? And uh, today I, I have a uh, guest, and the guest is Will Harris. Now, now, Will Harris, interesting fellow. I've known Will Harris for, oh, I don't know, 50 years, Bill. You think so, Will? Since about 1964. Yeah, so, so in fact of the matter is, Will Harris was a student of mine when I taught high school while I was in law school at Emory at night. So I was a night student at Emory when Emory had a night uh, student, uh, law school, and Will Harris was one of my students in my uh, general science and then biology class. And I would have to say about Will, uh, he wasn't that good a student. But that didn't take away from the fact that he's a pretty creative guy. And we'll find out how creative shortly. Uh, Will, uh, t- tell the audience a little bit about yourself. I know that you, for a long time, ran, ran Harris Design Build, which uh, did uh, really high-class renovations. I was uh, honored to, uh, to be your guest in Hilton Head in a house that you renovated, and it was just superb. I mean, really, uh, I think all you can say it was a class act. I know you... Uh, when that house was bought, it was uh, you tore it down to the frame and, and rebuilt it. Uh, so Harris Design built uh, for years. But before that, Will had a lot more interesting things going for him. Uh, who'd you work for before that, Bill? Will, I should say. I know well, I shouldn't call you Bill because you don't like Bill Clinton, so you changed your name from Bill to Will. So I knew you as <laughs> Bill Harris, and now you're Will Harris. By the way, just to tell the audience, um, I... I was very fond of of Will's uh, parents, uh, Malcolm and Francis, and the reason I was very fond of them, uh, the first reason, although they were nice people, is that um, I was an impecunious law student with very little money, and they would invite me over for uh, dinners every so often, and a free dinner man, that was worth its weight in gold. Will, go ahead, tell us about you. (laughs) Well, as I remember, you could eat quite a bit at that time. The, the way uh, uh, you liked ice cream was very interesting. We got where we would just give you a half gallon of briars, <laughs> and uh, you would make it disappear. Well, that's but, when you had the two bananas in there, too, to wash it down. Yeah, and some chocolate syrup. My mother was very fond of you. There, there was a humorous story where, uh, if you've never seen Bob, he's a tall... Uh, handsome man and and uh we had told my sisters one of which is much older uh probably your age that uh, i had a teacher coming and they thought lottie die and then i remember my sister saying they opened the door and in walks this guy <laughs> my sister went running to uh go make herself up to look more presentable <laughs> yes but but uh from from that point on it was quite a uh a strange time. I remember being pulled out of grammar school, and I, I now realize what a poor job our our government schools are doing because they had pulled me out and had my IQ tested because I was doing poorly in school, but on the California Achievement Test, I was uh, college level vocabulary, college level math, all that, and they couldn't understand why I couldn't do third grade. Uh, work, but uh, 
it all went on. Uh, years later, I ended up uh, going to Germany to work. I had a deal to work in Africa on infrastructure projects in Kenya with Matushka Corporation, which is one of the uh, children of the BMW bar-to-back battery legacy. And uh, I had a very interesting time there. I ended up having to run for our lives because we were just a few hundred kilometers away from where they were cutting our soldiers up and dragging them through the streets. And That's in Somalia. Bill, Will, that was in Somalia, right? Yeah, they were in Somalia. I was in Kenya. It was right next door. Yes, and that's where uh, President Clinton refused to uh, rescue our roll, troops. He wouldn't roll the tank. Yes, he, he wouldn't, and he could have rescued them and refused to do so. I remember that, yes. Yeah, well, it, it caused quite a bit of disturbance, and uh, that was one of the first things that led me to a life of conservatism, and uh, seems like I've been fighting communism and socialism and these same people my whole life that are very powerful in our country today. They're, they, they have control of the media, they have control of the schools, they have control of Hollywood, and they're influencing people at a, uh, at well, a frightening rate. T- uh, Will, tell us about some of the countries you've been in besides Kenya. I, I, I guess you flew into Kenya on some projects. Uh, what other countries... Uh, you, uh, by the way, Will is a very good uh, pilot, private plane. I Many years ago, uh, he took me, uh, when I lived in New Jersey, he took me and my son on a uh, trip. We flew over that, the house I then lived in, much to my wife's. Her, uh, <laughs> she got very excited about it, let's just say. She, yeah, she wasn't happy. <laughs> no, she wasn't happy about me flying around with my son in a private plane with uh, piloted by Will Harris. But in any case... Um, Tell me, tell us what other countries you've been in, and give you some, give us some insights, some, some in your impression of these countries. What was your impression of Kenya? Was I mean, Kenya has been one of the so-called shining lights of Africa. Well, at that time when you when they opened the door of the plane in Mombasa, the smell would hit you in the face. And if you look at Mombasa, you'll see it lays in a valley right on the Arabian Ocean. And all around it is a, a ridge line where the, the poor people live up there and the people, more wealthy people, or the people with money at all, live in the city. And at that time, they they had no sewage. And the people that lived on the ridge would just take their little pot every morning and throw it out in the street and it all washed down into Kenya. So what we were trying to do was put in sewage pipes to get that cleaned up and it was really helping the people, but of course they came and tried to kill us later. So it's a very typical situation for what happens when you try and improve things. Kenya was very interesting, but even more interesting, I think, was when I worked in China. We were some of the first people to get there after the communism uh, opened up a little bit, and they had it where you had to be invited, you had to have a project, and you had guides that would go with you everywhere. So they tried to steer you towards the part of the town uh, where there were American hotels and it was somewhat Europeanized and I would always walk out and start walking into the other areas of town and the little guys that were supposed to be escorting me would get all upset and 
I can remember walking past all these places that had the blinds would always be closed, but outside there were all kinds of aquariums and cages with all sorts of animals. And I thought, why do they have so many pet shops in this place? There's, you know, the people live in relative poverty, but they have all these pet shops. And then one one of the times I just walked up the steps and opened the door and it was all tables. And I realized this was a restaurant and you pick your meal out of the aquarium, which was... Uh, that that uh, had a profound effect on me. I, I realized how people in the rest of the world live and how their cultures work. You would see people in a country where a lot of people are starving, and they would have their bowl of noodles eating it in the street, and then when they got done, they would just throw the rest down in the gutter. And I, I realized that was part of a way of showing affluence, if you could waste food. The same in India. I had a lot of Sikh friends in India that we talked a lot about how the Sikh religion got started. And they were very vocal about it. The Sikhs were started because uh, someone that's better in history will have to refresh my memory, but it's either the 8th century or the 12th century when Islam was created. And the Muslims would come across to India, and they had something they did called conquering from within your own skin that they talked to me about, and that's where the Sikh religion was founded. The Sikhs were created to protect the Hindus. And what they would do is they would go in a village and they'd kill all the men and most of the children. They'd take the women back Wait, wait a minute. Who, who would kill the... Wait, it's not clear. Who would kill the, 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 the uh, men and take the children and women? The, are you talking the about the, the Muslims? Yes. Right. Go ahead. They would come across. They'd kill everyone in a village. They'd take the women, take them back to Africa, and then... Uh, marry with them and raise their right, convert them to Islam and raise the children in Islam and then take them back and reinstate them in the village uh, at this point full-fledged Muslims and that's how they, Islam got to start in India and that's where the Sikh religion started so the Sikhs, the Sikhs were part of the Hindu religion uh, yes, the Sikhs came out right. of Hinduism, and they were created because part of the Hindu religion was just, you know, you just let them kill you. And uh, the Sikhs would fight, and they became quite, they're, they're still the Sikh watch to this day. And when uh, India had problems in the north, uh, Indira Gandhi would always call out the Sikh watch, and they'd go out there and stomp it out real quick. They, they're, to this day... When I see a Sikh, New York, a lot of them own hotels. When I see a Sikh, and they're immediately identifiable because they always have a turban. They don't cut their hair or their beard. They have, I believe, five things they always carry. They have a copper band around a wrist. They have extra underwear, and they always have a dagger. <laughs> and to this day, you'll find they, that they still do that. But whenever I see a Sikh, I know that's someone you can do business with, and they'll be straight. They'll be hard, but they'll be very good. So you've, you've had experience in India, China, Kenya, where else? Uh, a little bit in South America. That was uh, in Brazil. And then uh, I also did work with product placement uh, in some of the communist countries right after the wall fell, getting American products there uh, Varda Batteries was one. Uh, 
product called Corn, Q-U-O-R-N, uh, various things, uh, bringing Western products into these countries and researching and see if they're going to work, which was, uh, again, uh, part of the in-depth relationship I've had with communism and seeing the effects of it. It's, it's absolutely brutal what happens what happens to the psyche of the people is even more frightening to me is what it does to their life because you know everyone's poor in socialism they you know our our current crop of people here think that you know if we go socialist everybody's going to have an iphone and a mercedes and a flat screen tv and they don't realize that the truth is actually everyone has nothing and everyone's the same well, that's not really true. The ruling, the ruling class always does well in a socialist system. Remember the Soviet Union, the Communist Party leadership had these uh, DACAs or these uh, uh, vacation homes on the Black Sea. And in, in, in Cuba, if you want medical treatment, you can't get it unless you're a member of the Communist Party leadership or a foreigner. So well, Maduro, when he died, he had billions of dollars, even though the people were starving. Yes. In, uh when I was working a little bit in the northern part of Europe, Poland, in that area, there's a, a little island called Rugen, R-U-G-E-N. And the Russian politicians had a place there they called the Beach Hotel. Okay, hold that thought. Hold that thought. We're in a hard break. We'll be right back with Will Harris and Do Facts Matter? Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not... You probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. If your health insurance premium is more than your mortgage, Ellen Deal with Ideal Solutions is here to help. Whether you're a small business owner, individual family, or baby boomer, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com, and I'll respond with three easy questions to help you determine if you can get away from Obamacare. As a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry, I'm here to help with all your insurance needs. Email Ellen Deal at MAGA45CAG at gmail.com. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Professor Robert D'Agostino back with Do Facts Matter, and my guest is Will Harris. Will Harris, uh, <clears throat> a longtime acquaintance and a longtime friend, actually. Uh, I, in fact, the matter is, uh, I taught him in high school, uh, way, way back when I taught high school while going to Emory Law School at night. And Will has made quite an adventuresome life out of his uh, 
which is a, what of a surprise, you know. He was always intelligent and creative, but as a student, he, he wasn't much. But you did get a degree in, in Germany, but tell us where you were going with the, just before the break. Will, take it over. I was talking about Rügen, how, you know, Russia, and this was in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, and, you know, Russia was not doing very well. They they had a way of measuring output by tonnage, so they'd make tractors with iron wheels and things like that that didn't work very well. But the Beach Hotel in Rügen was what I was talking about, where we were talking about where the people are starving, but the party people live a life of that's hard to imagine. And they had this place called the Beach Hotel. You could only accessed by an elevator that went down a, a steep cliff and then it was on a beach down in a little uh, at the bottom of the cliff and you couldn't get there anyway except by boat which you get shot or by that elevator where you had to be let in and what I've seen all around the world where these countries with the oppressive regimes the, the party members live a life that you know not that distant from what I see Nancy Pelosi, where her G4 is not enough for her. She had to have her own private 757 to fly her back and forth. And it, it, it was the same then. The, the comparisons between what's going on in America today, uh, for example, uh, uh, an opinion I have very strongly is that we are in the same place Europe was in in 1933, only this time we're Germany, and Hitler got elected, and what happened happened. So uh, the last few elections have been a, a turning point, just as it was for Germany. Interestingly enough, when I was based in Germany, I used to wonder, how can these people, they seem so nice and friendly, how could they have done this? And I really studied it a lot. I read Mein Kampf in German. I read a very interesting read is uh, Karl Marx in the original German. The uh, translations we get here have been softened up. The Schwang Arbeit and things like that have been taken out. Where they talk about the bourgeois eventually revolting and refusing to work and that, you know, you have to do something to get them to continue working. And that always, of course, was kill them. Uh, or 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 send him to the gulags, you know. Yeah. When Stalin needed workers to to build trenches and and to build a subway in Moscow, he just arrested lots of people, and after they finished the work, he sent them to the gulag, where they did other workers starve to death. Yeah, until they died. Yes, that's how my father's family ended up getting here. They were something called kulaks, not gulag, but kulaks, which were people with somewhat of an education and that owned land and of course uh, the same state where we are with socialism in America that private property rights have to go so they would people that were smart enough to figure out what was going on got out and the rest of the people were killed and either way you lost your land and that, that's uh, also my opinion and if you read Karl Marx very much at all you'll see the next thing on their agenda is private property rights which they attack by increasing property taxes to an unsustainable point, which is in many states, especially the blue states, uh, property taxes are almost unsustainable. Only the wealthiest can afford it. So 
everything ends up in in the long run it ends up going to either big business or the government but of course on the property taxes in the blue states on the wealthy one reason they hate trump so much the wealthy is because under the trump tax bill they couldn't write off all their property taxes their high taxes in the blue states against federal taxes there was a limitation of ten thousand dollars so these who were paying twenty five thirty forty thousand dollars in property taxes and writing them off against state uh, federal taxes they got really annoyed because the the trump tax bill resulted in a tax increase uh, for them even though the the percentage was supposedly reduced but the deductions were, were changed and that really well, infuriated them. That's another way that the big lie of the left, that they're for the middle class, they invariably, the way they had it set up was you could deduct your property tax against your federal tax, which ended up putting the burden on the middle class, if you think that through very far at all. It also put the burden on, on the red states that were effectively subsidizing the blue states' tax policies. Exactly. Yeah. The, that's another point that's a really good one to make is that how the left says they're for the middle class, and yet I've used that argument. Whenever you argue or try to discuss with a liberal, whenever you get them to raise their volume and shout you down, you know that you effectively won. And they'll always do that. Like, they'll always say, those evil oil companies, we have to tax the oil companies mercilessly. They're evil. And then I always say, well, do you think the oil companies just pay the tax and and just say, okay, we won't make any profit for our shareholders who are also retirees and, and all those people? And they say, well, they should. And I say, well, they don't. They raise the price of tax. So then your big tax increase on the oil companies a tax on the weakest of the weak. The people that are struggling to get a tank of gas to go to work are the ones that are paying that. And that's the point where their their volume goes up and they start shouting and don't hear a word you say. But almost invariably, if you look very deeply into the left policies, it always ends up on the back of the poor. I, I think that's that's quite true. Uh, uh, I don't think there's any question about it if you analyze things, but of course people don't analyze anything. I was talking. I bought a um, I bought a new television recently because my other television, you know, I guess stopped flashing white and black. It it, it died, so I went uh, to uh, uh, Best Buy and I, I uh, looked around. I was looked at several places and I found a television set eventually that I wanted to buy. And I was talking to a very intelligent fellow who was the sales consultant, as I like to call them. And he was obviously intelligent. He was had some education or he had some credentials. I, I, I hate to say education because a lot of people have credentials are not educated. And uh, so I asked him a question. We were talking. I said, yeah, let me ask you a question. Um, the ultra-rich, there's a, actually, I'm people with multiple billions of dollars. Uh, take the top ten. How, how many of the, and I'll give you a hint, uh, the last time I looked, nine out of ten of the top ultra-wealthy people in this country were in one political party. Which party do you think that was? Oh, it's the Republicans. They represent the wealthy. Wrong. Democrats. 
And the Democrats are the party of the what I call the non, mostly the non-productive affluent uh, government uh, bureaucrats, people who make their money uh, in making motion pictures in Hollywood, uh, uh, social workers, uh, people who are um, associate deans for diversity and inclusion at the major universities. None of these people really are particularly productive or productive at all. Uh, but they are, and they're all Democrats. Now, the only exception probably to that is some of the tech people, for, for I think, cultural reasons, they, they favor the Democrats, uh, which I kind of find interesting because some of them do very productive work. But look at lawyers. Uh, tort lawyers are Democrats. Transactional lawyers are Republicans. Transactional lawyers help businesses operate uh, and put deals together. Uh, tort lawyers, their economic result of tort of uh, uh, tort claims is a transfer of wealth uh, from the productive to non-productive, usually themselves. Uh, I'm not criticizing people should be paid for their injuries, but the answer is economically that's a transfer of wealth from productive to non-productive sources. Well, tell us about tell us about the countries and and what you see happening to America. Uh, as you've been around the world, you've seen these socialist regime, you've seen these these uh, corporate capitalist regimes uh, you know, where, where the big corporations uh, run the country in cahoots with the government and the big unions, which I think is happening here. But what do you think? The unions are, I think if Samuel Gomper saw what's happened to the unions today, he would uh, certainly be rolling over in his grave. The unions have been, uh, I think they're a devastating effect here. There's nothing that they do that's not covered by federal or, or, or local law anymore other than collective bargaining, which is their big argument. And, again, the argument I use there is, well, if you make, it's what I saw in Germany, for example. You know, everybody makes good money. They have five weeks a year vacation, but a box of Cheerios costs $12 and a gallon of gas is $6. So when you pay people uh, an exorbitant salary, but you inflate the cost of everything within a company, they actually had a better life when they made 12 bucks an hour and a gallon of gas was a dollar than they do when they make 30 bucks an hour and a gallon of gas is six dollars. Well, don't you think the, the, there's a division between the public service unions and the private unions? The private unions are, 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 are losing membership rapidly. The public service unions, of course, have nobody to really negotiate with because they negotiate with politicians, and well, politicians they, want the vote. Negotiate with themselves. Right. If you look at Detroit as a prime example of that. They negotiated with themselves for years. In the 1950s, Detroit was the Hollywood of America. It had one of the highest standards of living in the country. It was a beautiful, gorgeous city, and 50 years of Democrat rule and union rule, and look at what happened at Detroit. Classic example. Well, the, I, the, the public sector unions right. are negotiating with themselves yes. and end effect. Okay, of all the uh, countries, and we'll get on to what you're up to now, of uh, all the countries that you have um, visited, and, and there are quite a few, give us your projection about what's going to happen. Not only here, but in Kenya and China. I mean, China looks like they're going backwards into to strict communism. 
uh, India. Well, Russia does too. Putin has done no good for Russia. He's actually set them back. If you remember when uh, communism fell with Reagan in Russia, they had a huge influx of crime where they had their own mafia and people made ridiculous fortunes. And I'm not one that says ridiculous fortunes easily. That's There's a part of the brainwashing, the subtle brainwashes, or things like filthy rich, like it's dirty to be rich. But they make so much money by not doing anything that benefits anyone other than themselves. I really believe that any commercial enterprise needs to have a synergy where the people that you serve the people that everyone gets something it's not just for you and all these countries the same thing happened china's going backwards right now although uh, iran and china i think there's a high probability that there will be uprisings in these countries i know the iranian people as a generalization, and generalizations being generally true, but the Iranian people are actually very nice, good people, and they're being, they have a boot on their throat right now. And I think a lot of them are tired, and I think China is realizing what's going on there. Xiaoping is, is not doing anyone favors except the party. Okay, hold that thought. We're up against a hard break. We'll be right back with Will Harris and his observations of what's going on in China. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Want to give your family or loved one the perfect gift? Then go online and check out the TornadoBodyDryer.com. I love mine and the warm heat air massage it gives me after my shower. The Tornado Body Dryer is super. You'll love it. And you'll love having one in your shop. Whether cruising the strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Professor Robert D'Agostino, back with Do Facts Matter. I'm a professor at Atlanta's John Marshall Law School, and uh, I have my guest today is Will Harris. Uh, Will Harris uh, was a student of mine, as I said before, when I taught high school, and he's talking right now about his observations of what's going on in China, a place where he spent some time in the past. Bill, go ahead. Will, I should say Will. I, I know you changed your name. Will. <laughs> Will, fine. 
I, I honestly believe, uh, you know, China did that once before in the square there where the one person stood down a tank. The, the Chinese people are a ballsy people, and I think they're going to get to a point where they've had enough. And these days, communication is so much better that people all over China know what's going on in China, whereas before the, the government could suppress it quite easily. Uh, I would not be surprised if there was an uprising and a political upheaval there, particularly with what appears to have gone on with the COVID. Uh, I'm not going to speculate on it, but I, I will guarantee you that there's foul play there of some sort. I'm not going to try to guess what. Uh, everyone has their own theory, but they certainly seem to have been in cahoots with the World Health Organization. The leader of the World Health Organization, now that he's come under a little bit of scrutiny, appears to have been possibly affiliated with Boko Haram or certainly with a lot of terrorists in Africa. Not a nice guy. And they certainly seem to have helped to facilitate misinformation or lack of information getting out about the COVID virus, which could have potentially mitigated the effects worldwide. It's very interesting that uh, if you look at America, why we had so many deaths, and it's not just because of population. I I think it has to do with population density to a certain effect, but it's just very curious to me, and I think this all bears some uh, looking into on a very detailed level. But uh, in China, I, I, I would not be surprised at all if there was not some sort of, you know, Ping is uh, president for life, I think is his title, is it not? Well, he's arranged uh, to be president for life. I don't know if he calls himself that yet, but he's certainly arranged, he's changed the rules uh, to uh the, you know, he's. Some people refer him as to the new Mao Zedong. Yeah, well, Mao didn't do anybody any favors. They had their, what did they call it, the winter of discontent, where uh, they personally basically starved. What was it? Forty million, sixty million, huge, the, the, enormous yeah, amount of people. Right between the great, great, great leap forward. Massive starvation, and then later the Cultural Revolution. But the Great Leap Forward was massive starvation. Cannibalism really was a a tremendous uh, uh, shock to the Chinese. But but they, you know, Mao survived it. He did, and and, uh, I think it was basically because everyone that opposed him had a gun in their face very quickly. Yeah. Well, what seems to be what Putin is doing in Russia, too. Uh, wouldn't surprise me. I, I don't know. I haven't been there in close to 30 years, so I couldn't tell you. And I don't have a lot of contact with very many Russians, and the ones I do have contact with seem to be somewhat closed-mouthed about it. I had one of them tell me uh, their comment about Putin was that he was very bad for business. Right. <laughs> so, that kind of tells it all right there. Well, talk about bad for business. What about China and Hong Kong? I mean, if if you think uh, China may be a little unstable, uh, Xi is uh, busy uh, cracking down on that, what, what freedoms Hong Kong has left. Well, I was in Hong Kong right before it, the transfer, and there were people there that were deathly afraid of it, and there were people there that thought it was going to be the best thing ever. Uh, 
I think they found out now that the uh, former was the end result. Saying Taiwan is going to be, there's still problems to be coming in Taiwan. Do you think China will move against Taiwan? Uh, I think when the time is right. The interesting thing you have to look at is Trump uh, was obviously hated by the American left. And the American left is closely affiliated with groups like the CDC and the World Health Organization. And what Trump had done with China, while it was absolutely wonderful for America, it put, put back imbalances that have been in place, really started ever since Nixon opened China up. Every liberal president since then has pretty much given them keys to the bank in America more and more and more. And Trump, in end effect, took away a lot of that. So if you look at that and think, well, well, China's going to be mad. They'd want to get rid of Trump. The left wants to get rid of Trump. And then all of a sudden this virus pops up out of a lab that supposedly researches these things. Some of the coincidences are... Uh, have you ever heard of Occam's razor? Uh, well, of course. Yeah, well, if you apply Occam's razor... To this, uh, you could come up with a, a, an interesting theory about what's really going on. But to me, the way this whole situation here has denigrated itself, it seems to be at this point it's a get Trump scheme from one end to the other. And all these uh, Democrat governors doing all this to kill small business. In my opinion, the Democrats always want to kill small business because then the large businesses take over that market share, and the large businesses they can control. It's very difficult to control one or two million small businesses, whereas a big business is very easy for them to control. So all this is just a little too convenient for me. I, I have a, I say paranoia, but a certain, certainly I would say a distrust of uh, a lot of the powers that be. And that's on both sides of the aisle. Well, I think you're right, uh, Bill. I think uh, one one theory is, of course, that the virus was developed at the Wuhan lab from other viruses. This particular virus has a particularly affinity for humans, which is kind of unusual, that it accidentally escaped from the lab, and then the Chinese government saw the potential of that virus to wreck the, the economies of Western nations. So I think the probably the, the initial escape was an accident, but it's hard to explain why the Chinese government completely uh, ch- shut down Wuhan and Hubei province, wouldn't let the other Chinese out, wouldn't let the Chinese out or in. Uh, if you lived in those Hubei or, or Wuhan, you couldn't leave to other parts of China. At the same time they locked it down, they allowed Chinese from Wuhan to travel the entire world. Now, why why would you do that unless you wanted to spread the virus? Absolutely. So it's, uh, yeah. If I'm not mistaken, they they had soldiers with guns outside of people's houses. If you tried to go out, you'd get shot. Yep. And uh, I heard a lot of stories that kind of quieted down. I don't know if there's any truth to it. Maybe someone out there would research it or have provable information. But it seemed like a lot of doctors disappeared in that time, too. That's true. No, that's, that's been demonstrated 
that a number of doctors have suddenly disappeared, uh, so far not to be seen again. And so it's a very interesting situation. Of course, the Democrats are as happy as they can be because uh, they, they're in a win-win situation. If there's a depression, they win, and they would love to have a depression. If they don't have a depression, and, and then they can blame any deaths on Trump. So either way, they win. Oh, well, you got the economy going, but look at all the people you killed. And they'll say you killed. They would just, you know, talk about... They already are saying he killed these people. Right. Another interesting point about all this is it has effectively, I won't say emptied the nursing homes, but it certainly lowered the populations. And Democrats... Let me tell you and America that the eugenics movement is alive and well. The the movement that was founded by Margaret Sanger, who also founded Planned Parenthood. Well, she didn't found the the movement, the eugenics movement. She was part of it, and she founded Planned Parenthood. That's true. Well, to me, a lot of these Democrats, uh, Como in New York, for example, thousands of people from the nursing homes and everyone that's in a nursing home is costing the government they're getting their social security they're getting their medicare they're getting they're they're a huge cost and to me they're getting back what they put in their entire life without interest and most people are lucky if they even get the principal they put in during their entire life but when they eliminate them they see that as a uh cash in the bank and in effect for them. They get to spend the money buying votes or what they usually do with money, their pet projects. Another point is that when the Democrat House of Representatives, I would like for someone out there to tell me what is the difference when they hold the workers of America hostage for a period of time where they craft a bill with hundreds of millions of dollars for their pet projects, including I believe, a 28% pay raise for themselves. What is the difference in that in looting in a disaster? Well, that's a good point. And uh, and that brings up the uh, most recent, uh, 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 well, I guess you might want to call it a shopping opportunity in in Minnesota, uh, where the left is calling these riots protests. They're exactly. not protests. They're riots. They're looters and riots. What has looting got to do with protesting? Well, they're actually busting thugs in from other towns to to uh, participate in the what they call protest. It's it's clearly riots. And again, the, the their cohorts in the media have whipped these flames up. To me, we have a clear case. And again. I'd like to see what went on. I have to hear more before I'm going to say anything. But it does appear to be, at minimum, police brutality. But there was one Asian in that group. It's hard to call it racism to me. It's, it could be pr- police brutality, probably is. Okay, hold that thought. We're up against the hard break. We'll, we'll continue this discussion of the so-called protests right after the break. Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is Around Town Movers. Timothy and the guys 
recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around town movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, around town movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's around town movers. Call them. You can keep your doctor, you can keep your plan, and every family will save thousands of dollars a year. I'm Ellen Deal, and if you've been hurt by the Affordable Care Act, you can email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com to see if we can help. Small business owners, individuals, families, and baby boomers, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com for three easy questions to determine if you can get away from Obamacare. I'm a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry and here to help you for all your insurance needs. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Professor Robert D'Agostino back with Do Facts Matter and my guest, William Harris. We were talking about the um, so-called protests, the looting, really, that's going on in uh, uh, Minnesota and, and Minneapolis particularly and seems to be spreading to other cities, at least cities that are controlled by Democrats who uh, seem to not want to do anything about it. It brings up uh, an interesting uh, observation uh, of uh, Antonio Gramsci. Um, now, he talked about, he didn't really talk about it in this way, but his followers did, the long march through the institutions. So one of the things the left is, is determined to do is ruin the faith of the people in the institutions, and those institutions include the family, include the free market, include the church, and they seem to be succeeding. Will, take it away. Well, the church is clear. You know, when when all this big socialist movement started, the first thing you have to do is do away with family and religion. And the way they, they knew to attack the family, you had to corrupt the women. And this all came about right as we got the birth control pill. And that's why it's so... Uh, important to them that they they determine abortion for example is health care and a right and if that doesn't require too much cognizant thought to realize that it's not a right it's not health care it's something else totally different at all but they never well wait a minute bill as ruth bader ginsburg pointed out abortion gets rid of members of a population we want fewer of that's what she said new york times interview uh, if you look it up, uh, those of you who are listening, that's what she said. Abortion is a good way, population control, plus it's a good way to get rid of members of a population you want fewer of. Well, that's the same thing Margaret Sanger said. That's the most racist thing I've ever heard, but she comes from her mouth so she can say it. If Donald Trump or someone said that, it would be, uh, you know, everyday news for weeks on end. They get to say things like that, and it's it's. Uh, there was a book called Freakonomics many years ago that determined that Bill Clinton took credit for uh, crime reduction in America. But if you look, that when he was in office and when he was claiming this crime reduction was uh, 
a long enough period after Roe v. Wade that all these babies that would have been born that would have been doing the crime weren't born, so the crime wasn't happening. And he was taking credit for the reduction in crime that came actually from certain people not being born and having a chance. Well, that was the Freakonomics. That was the uh, theory of Freakonomics. There are some other people who said, well, it wasn't quite that, uh, because there was a movement all across the country led by Republicans to, to control crime. Uh, Giuliani in New York was uh, a great example of uh, someone who came along and really did the, the job by cracking down on petty crime and, 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 and getting guns off the streets that were in the hands of criminals. You, you, you reduce crime everywhere. So that was a big, uh, uh, people have analyzed that, and that was a big reason for the, the, the decrease in, in crimes. Uh, the, the enforcement of laws like petty crimes, the enforcement, you, now that's been reversed, obviously. And so, obviously. Well, uh, look, what's the most dangerous city per capita in the country today? It's Baltimore. Ever since the, Maryland. Yes, the police have, have been ordered to stand down be, because uh, they have been naughty, naughty things that have happened in Baltimore with this thug that uh, died, died in the custody. And same thing in Ferguson. What's happened in Ferguson? I mean, this guy was a thug. Brown was a, a, a complete thug. And police have been ordered to stand down. So per capita murders in Baltimore and in um, uh, Ferguson and St. Louis area have gone sky high. The per capita murder rate in both those cities exceeds Chicago's. Chicago is the murder capital in the number of murders, but not in the per capita number of murders. So, well, that makes perfect sense. So, and you know something? I also I've noticed this uh, man that was killed in Georgia recently, and they did the same thing with Brown and Ferguson. They show the picture. Of him, they always showed his high school graduation picture with him all nice and clean and neat in a tuxedo instead of showing the mug shot. And they did the same thing with this guy that was killed in Georgia. They showed his graduation picture and not the mug shots of him. And not to say that any of that was correct, although Brown was correct. He was attacking an officer. He was trying to get his gun from him. He didn't succeed. He ran and he got shot. That's that's completely, and there were black witnesses that corroborated that. This thing in Georgia, I don't know yet what went on, but un, until the facts come out and it's been investigated thoroughly, I'm not going to say. But it is a typical trick of the media that they, if they want someone to, to uh, if they want to indicate what's going on in Minneapolis right there, they show a nice, neat, young picture of them when they were all young and before they got whatever happened to him and i don't know anything about the guy in georgia if he was a nice guy or he was a thug i do not know but the one in ferguson was clearly a thug he had just robbed a convenience store and when a cop tells you stop you stop he charged the cop tried to wrestle him for his gun (laughs) i mean if you do that and you get shot you know I have a hard time with complaining about that. The cop was defending himself, period. Well, I, I, let me just, uh, and this is not directly on point, but the, in Georgia, the situation is being investigated by the GBI. Now, the GBI in Georgia is extremely capable, extremely professional, and we had some left-wing reporter uh, called up a few people who have worked uh, here in Georgia, one who worked with the GBI 
and there was a well-known defense attorney, criminal defense attorney, who would not say to this left-wing reporter uh, how professional and how uh, able the GBI is and his confidence in the GBI in doing a a thorough investigation of the incident in Brunswick, Georgia. And uh, she didn't like that. So she went and found someone who doesn't work and didn't work with the GBI to give her a big uh, interview about how racist everything was in Georgia and how racist the GBI was and how terrible it was. Well, the, the professor who gave that particular interview doesn't know a darn thing. The professor who gave the interview that said the GBI is first-class operation spent years working with them and, and sometimes against them. He was a a, a very well-known defense attorney. I don't want to put the names of both of them out there, but it shows you the left will will phony up anything to make an ideological point. And that's your point that you were just making. To make an ideological point, they'll even put pictures of high school graduates instead of the pictures of their more current activities being thugs. And now we're seeing the same thing in Minneapolis. We have all these wonderful protesters. Oh, well, wait a minute. Um, you know, that showed a picture to one of these left-wing professors at Princeton of a guy trying to break into a, a, a safe at a store to get the money out. And he's excusing that guy. He's excusing it. I, I, it just, it, insofar as it's what happens is being excused as a justifiable reaction is despicable. And uh, one of the good things about Atlanta is the city of Atlanta, yeah, it's uh, Democrat controlled, but it's controlled by Democrats who know what's where their bread is buttered and where the people of Atlanta's bread is buttered. Ever since Maynard Jackson came into power and, and got all the people in Atlanta, all the big businessmen of Atlanta together, all these white folks who are running Atlanta economically, and he said to them, essentially what he said to them is, we got the votes, you got the money. We'll let you have the votes. We'll make sure the votes go the right way and you have stability, but we want in on the money. So Atlanta became a very good city for black entrepreneurs, for black businessmen, and a lot of that goes to Maynard Jackson, who was a... I know well, a lot of that goes back to Lyndon Johnson, too. I mean, he basically gave Atlanta... Uh, over at that time and it would always become exactly what it's become and there's a lot of positivity to it especially what? I mean I am all for the black community growing wait, 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 wait. I, what did Lyndon Johnson do that was positive most of what he did was terrible uh, effect on the black community he well, wrecked yeah, the but, black uh, family well they actually had government paid people going out in the black community telling the women if you get rid of your husband, you'll make more money. Well, that's that's right. It was, it was, I'm talking about Maynard Jackson was a very positive uh, 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 influence well, on Atlanta. Well, Maynard Jackson was was instrumental in Atlanta becoming what it is, where it, it is a place where black entrepreneurs go. Right. Everything from music. There's, there's all kinds of them doing it, and they're doing well. Yeah, but Lyndon Johnson... Linda Johnson's policies, Great Society, I can do an analysis of that, was a disaster for the black community, complete disaster. Well, it was designed to be. Well, that's possible. The the famous quote that is supposedly out there floating around on tape somewhere is, uh, we'll have them, you know, he used an expletive, voting for us for, I can't remember whether it was 50 years or 200 years. But 
he he was devastating. But what's good about what's happening in Atlanta is when you get black entrepreneurship, black businesses, nothing gets blacks and minorities in general away from the plantation and liberal control quicker than being successful and realizing what's going on. And more and more, I think that Donald Trump in the coming election is going to get a larger share of the black vote, particularly the black male vote, than anyone ever had, any Republican in history ever had. Well, any Republican since Eisenhower, let's put it that way. Yeah. Well, another thing people don't know, if you ask the average person, uh, if if Lincoln was a Democrat or Republican, they all think he's a Democrat. They, the Democrats freed the slaves. No. The Democrats, for every bill that's been good for minorities from that day till this, have stood against it. Every, every last one of them, the Democrats have fought it tooth and nail. And it's been the Republicans that freed the slaves, the Republicans that brought around prosperity to the minority communities and the Democrats have fought it because they can't control them once they get their own businesses and they get a life other than living on subsistence crumbs from the government. No, he changed They that. can't be controlled. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think that um, uh, the, 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 the damage done to the black community by the Democrat policies, a lot of uh, blacks young blacks are understanding the problem. I said in my class one day, uh, well, I, I'll repeat that next week. Uh, we've uh, come to the end of the show. Will, thanks very much for appearing. It was a very interesting show, and I'll call you after the uh, show's over. This is, yeah, I wanted to talk about Phoenix Health Technologies, but maybe we can do that another time. We will do that another time, Phoenix Technologies. That's your new company. Remember right. that name out there. Phoenix Health Technology. Thank you for listening.